And now, a message from President Barack Hussein Obama. Hello, America. Uh, this is Barack. I just wanted to impart to you this important message about this troubled economic time. In the 30s, when America was gripped in a depression the likes of which had never before been seen, families, young people, old people, white people, brown people, gather around their radios to hear escapist dramas and comedies that lifted their spirits during this troubled time. Given the current economic climate, I think it wise uh, to return, as it were, to that spirit of communal radio, which is why, as your president, I order you to listen to KWUR 90.3 FM, specifically, and I mean this, to the KWUR Theater of the Air, which is broadcast on Thursday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Get your own damn fries. From the basement of the women's building here in beautiful, colorful St. Louis, it's the KWUR Theater of the Air. Woo! I'm David Reinstrom. My name is David Brunel Brutman. Hey, baby. And I'm Alex Jensen. And tonight is our premiere of Sky Pirates. Who's excited? Alex is excited because I'm she's clapping. applauding. I am outrageously excited. I'm so excited that I'm excited. Wow. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. David's David excited. excited. I'm so excited <laughs> that I've gone all around the excitement spectrum, okay? I've gone from being not excited all the way back around to being excited again. That is how excited I am. I thought you were going to use, like, some colors. Like, yeah, I, was, I thought you I were going to say something about say, ultraviolet. Yeah. Or something. Oh, uh, or infrared, maybe. The he current... is so excited that he is vibrating at a frequency <laughs> that gives off ultra, ultraviolet light. <laughs> it's, quite, actually it's starting quite a sight to, to see. Yeah, I'm actually starting to get a little crispy. I'm starting to mm. tan just being next to him. The, and I've got Alex in between The me and excitement him. color code level here at the station is... Uh, um, Puce. I was going to say chartreuse, actually, oh. which rhymes with puce. So but I, it's not the same color. No. I'm going to no, say it's not. orange. Well, today, in addition to being our premiere of Sky Pirates, of our original radio theater produced by us, we students, we proud few, proud few, we band of brothers, large, large band of brothers, actually, numbering yeah, wow. like 40 plus, 50 plus people. There are a million people. There are involved. a million people working on this. So this has <laughs> been a lot of hard work, and we're going to, we're going to be rolling out uh, our, our series to you over the rest of this semester. But it also happens to be our 1930s show. Well, because, because of Sky, Pirates Sky Pirates takes place in the 1930s. Takes so we thought that it would be appropriate to have a 1930s hour, well, two hours, yes. here on the Theater of the Air this week. So what have we got this week, David? This week, uh, Alex and I are taking, we have been taking this History of Electronic Media course here at the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've just, we're just now moving into television. Uh, but before, prior to that, we had been just learning about the history of radio and about radio entertainment in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have acquired through this class some, some more vintage radio programs. And so tonight, the stuff we're going to play uh, is is radio programs that were based on syndicated newspaper comics. So we've got some Little Orphan Annie and we've got some Dick Tracy. Uh, so our first selection for tonight is Dick Tracy. Uh, and, and this is from, I think, 1938. 
Uh, this was produced by by NBC at that time. Like these these places shifted all over the place from from NBC to to NBC Blue, which would later become Alex. I haven't studied yet. ABC. We've got a midterm on Monday. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, who cares about that? What well, is this about? What What's Dick Tracy about? Yes. I mean, Tell he's us Dick about Tracy. Dick Tracy. He's David. a cop. He solves mysteries. Uh, this one is part of the ongoing Black Pearl series. Uh, it's called um, Pat Gets Hypnotized. Is there a ship? There is no ship. It's actually about Damn. a black a black pearl belonging to the cult of, and they say it Osiris, <laughs> like how I would say or Alex would say or you would say Osiris. Yes. Uh, but it's a cute little antiquity. It's like there's an Egyptian cult and they've got this magical pearl and 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 there are weird foreign dangers. Uh, they abound, and also also uh, Dick Tracy has some some important social lessons to impart to uh, to young Junior. So okay. listen so carefully. Then you might get something out of let us. Let us warm your speakers. Let us warm the cockles of your speakers. In preparation for Sky Pirates with this episode of Dick Tracy entitled Pat Hypnotize. Yes, and before that, uh, let me draw your attention to the fact that the sponsor, uh, just pay attention to the messages from the sponsor because they will make you giggle. Go for it. Adventure fans, calling all Dick Tracy fans. Stand by, Dick Tracy is on the air. The makers of Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice, those specially digestible, delicious cereals that are shot from guns, now bring you another gripping Dick Tracy adventure. And now listen. Today, Dick Tracy tells you how to get a genuine Dick Tracy secret ring, free. Think of it. A beautiful gold-plated ring with a special secret compartment, just like the one Humi Batik gave Junior. Remember? Well, now you can wear one, too. And it doesn't cost you a cent. So be sure you're listening in at the end of the program to hear how to get your secret Dick Tracy ring free. Dick's a great fellow, isn't he? Have you noticed how fast his mind works? Like lightning. And what a great athlete he is, just full of trigger-fast energy. And I don't know of a better, more enjoyable way to get lots of the same kind of food energy than to have a big bowl of delicious Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice for breakfast, the way thousands of active athletic boys and girls and grown-ups do every day. Those two nourishing delicious cereals are shot from guns. grain is actually exploded to eight times its normal size. That makes Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice specially easy to digest so that you get their trigger-fast food energy much more quickly and easily. So for a real quick energy breakfast that tastes extra good, ask Mother to get you some Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice at the grocer's. With the capture of the Mogul and head of a society of art treasure thieves, it seemed that Dick Tracy had brought to a close another interesting case. The Mogul was behind bars, and Tracy still had in his possession the Black Pearl of Osiris, sacred gem of an Egyptian cult dedicated to the worship of Osiris. But then the Mogul died in his cell. At least an examination showed that he was dead, but while he was being taken to the office of the medical examiner, a strange thing happened. Hey, Joe, did you hear something move behind us? Nah. I was sure I did. You mean back there? Yeah. Ah, relax, brother. There's no one back there except a dead man. Uh, gentlemen, don't be alarmed. Joe! 
Joe! It's the guy who's dead! I mean... You mean the man you thought was dead. I'm very much alive, and so is this gun in my hand. Hey, what are you going to do to us? You'll follow orders, nothing. Now keep driving until we get out into the country. Anything you say, buddy. He was dead, and now he's alive! I have never been dead, my friends. I was merely in a cataleptic trance. A cataleptic... Uh, a, a cataleptic what? trance. You see, I am able to hypnotize myself as well as others. It is a known fact that expert hypnotists can cut a person or themselves into a trance that very much resembles death. The yogis and swamis of India make quite a practice of it. But the whole prison was sure you were dead. There's something funny about all this. Do not believe me? Perhaps you'd like me to try it on you. Oh, no, no, no. no. Don't do that. Don't do that. I, I, I believe you, all right? I sure do, brother. I sure do. Escaped. And after you all were sure he was dead. Yep. Dick, this Mogul fellow must be a wizard to be able to fake an act like that. Well, there's nothing so very unusual about auto-hypnotism. Unfortunately, I didn't think of it in connection with the Mogul. He's clever and well-informed, which has put us on our guard. Every man on the force has instructions to keep his eyes open for the Mogul. Have you heard anything yet, Dick, from the Board of Inquiry? You mean about Huey Batik? Yeah. Yes, Pat, I've been kept posted. I'm still going over the evidence in the case. I had a report this morning indicating that the board, from the evidence available, is coming to the conclusion that Dryden Small was definitely in the wrong. He was guilty of several criminal offenses. Small is recovering from his wound, too, isn't he? Yep. All of which seems to indicate that Batik will be released shortly. Well, I'm glad of that. I'm glad they feel the same way as we do about Dryden Small. Gosh, Dick, when we consented to escort that fellow home from England, we never thought we'd get all mixed up in a thing like this. The Black Pearl of Osiris, Egyptian high priest like Humi Batik... Our treasures, thieves like the Mogul and his gang, the secret ring of Osiris. Say, that reminds me. Did I show you mine, Pat? Hey, quite a number of times, Junior. But I must admit it's worth showing, especially with that swell likeness of Dick on it. Hey, that'd make a swell ring for any boy or girl to have. Say, I can't wait to hear what the members of the Secret Service Patrol who got rings like this will say about it. And the special compartment. Gee, I, I know they're going to think it's a beauty, Pat. Oh, incidentally, Dick, you still have that black pearl safely hidden in that ring you're wearing, haven't you? I certainly have, Pat. Gonna stay there until I can give it into the safekeeping of Humi Batik or one of his agents. You know, Pat, this case of the Black Pearl of Osiris and the gang that's after it has opened up an entirely new field for investigation. You mean the fake art treasures? Yes, yes, the papers have been full of it. The manufacture of fake and imitation works of art, which are sold as the genuine articles, has become a problem. The moment we're finished with this Black Pearl business, we'll have another job in our hands, cleaning up this other racket. Oh, and it's a vicious racket, too, no question about it. These racketeers imitate pictures by the old masters and sell them for terrific amounts. The price should pay for an original. Yeah. Tracy speaking. Yes? Nothing yet, huh? All right, Brooks, but keep on it. Scatter your men and see that every inch of the ground has gone over thoroughly. Right. Sergeant Brooks, still nothing. Looks like the Mogul has really escaped us, Pat. Yeah, yeah he's taking it on the lamb, all right. What did you say, Junior? I said he's taking it on the lamb. Now, where did you pick that up? What? The phrase, take it on the lamb. Oh, I don't know, Dick. I. Oh, yes, I do. I heard Blackie Moran say it once. I see. Well, I don't want you to say it again, Junior. Why not, Dick? Because it's slang, Junior. Slang of a kind that shouldn't be used by anyone, especially a boy like yourself. Well, Dick, I, I don't see anything wrong with slang. I don't do anybody harm when I say it. Take it on the lamb. Oh, like... yes, you do. Yes, you do, Junior. You do a great deal of harm to yourself. Well, I don't understand, Dick. Well, I'll try to explain, Junior. Now, now I'm not going to go into the technical definition of slang, but for our purposes, we might say that slang, the kind of slang you just used, is the language of the gutter. The 
It's the language used by people who have no education, no no background, just like Blackie Moran and his gang. After all, until people get to know you well, they judge you by what you say and how you say it. Oh, gee, I, I never thought of it that way, Dick. Well, I wish you would, Junior, because it's very important. You see, slang is the mark of a lazy brain. Oh, gee, Dick, I've heard other kids use slang words and things. I know you have, and that's because they don't listen to their parents and their teachers. Parents and teachers object to slang because they know how great a handicap it is in life. Because it's not only unpleasant to hear, but gives people the idea that a boy is a hoodlum, a roughneck. And that may not be true at all. Boys like you may have picked up a slang expression and failed to realize how wrong it was to use it. I see. Well, I'm sorry, Dick. Don't be sorry, Junior. Just, just make a firm resolve not to use slang again. Whenever you're tempted to use slang, always stop and try to think of another way of expressing yourself. The truth of the matter is, you know, that as a member in good standing of the Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol, you have to know how to express yourself clearly, concisely, and forcefully. There's only one way to do that, by precise English. Never by the use of slang. Excuse me a moment. Sure. Tracy speaking. Board of Inquiry? Yeah, I see. Well, that's splendid. I'm glad they reached that decision. Thank you very much for calling. Board of Inquiry, Dick? Yes, Pat. I'm happy to say they've exonerated Homi Batik. They've issued an order for the arrest of Dryden Small. Small is to be removed from the hospital into a prison cell the moment it can be done safely. Uh, that's fine. Batik will be anxious to know about their decision. I think I'll call at the prison now and let him know. Mr. Tracy, this is most wonderful news. Most wonderful. I, I don't know how to thank you, how to tell you how deeply grateful I am. Well, there's no reason for you to thank me, Batik. I had nothing to do with it. The law took its course. Since you weren't guilty of any willful wrongdoing, you're not found guilty. The law has decided that you don't deserve punishment. And you have the pearl, Mr. Tracy? Yes, yes, I have it with me. Safely concealed in the secret compartment of the ring you gave me. And I'd suggest that you let me keep it until you're free and ready to sail. At the moment, my chief concern is to get you and the Black Pearl out of this country safely. And after that, what then? After that, my problem will be to capture the Mogul and put him where he belongs. Hello. Oh, hello, Tess. No, Dick went down to the prison about an hour ago to see Humi Batik. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm just writing a few letters. No, no, not love letters. All right, Tess, I'll tell him you called. Now, let me see. What was that address again? Do not worry yourself unduly about the address, Mr. Patton. You'll have no need for it. What? The Mogul, you... Yes, you... the Mogul. Don't look so surprised, my friend. What are you doing here? I want the Black Pearl of Osiris. No doubt you've heard of the Black Pearl of Osiris. I haven't got it. I know you haven't. But you will get it for me. Me? How, how can I get it for you? I know where the Black Pearl is, Mr. Patton. And I'm not so sure you don't. It is concealed in the ring which Tracy wears on his middle finger. The ring given to him by Humi Batik. I must have that pearl, Mr. Patton. And you will get it for me. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what you're, what you're talking about. You will, because I will explain to you very carefully. But uh, pardon me. Don't you feel just a trifle sleepy, Mr. Patton? Boy, uh, of no, course no. you do. Sleep, Mr. Patton. Sleep. 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 
And now, Pattern, you are completely under my influence. You understand that? I understand. I will now give you certain commands, and you will carry them out. You will be unable to help yourself. You will find that you are forced to do what I command you to do while you are in this hypnotic trance. You understand? I will not be able to help myself. I must do as you command. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you will go about as if you were not hypnotized. But all the while, you will be under my influence. And now, Patton, this is what I command you to do. So that I may be able to get my hands on the black pearl. What devilish scheme has the Mogul thought of now? He has hypnotized Pat. Will he succeed in getting the black pearl of Osiris? Or will the great detective Dick Tracy outwit him again? We'll soon know. But now it's time for your Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol meeting, brought to you by the makers of delicious, nourishing Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. And here comes Dick Tracy himself with Junior to tell you how to get your secret Dick Tracy ring free. Hello there, boys and girls. Last Friday, we told you we were trying to get secret Dick Tracy rings for all of you, just like the one Homie Batik gave to Junior. Well, we've succeeded. Gosh, three cheers, Dick. And we've arranged with the jeweler to make the rings for you. Say, will they be gold-plated just like mine with your picture on them, Dick, and all those lucky signs? Of course, Junior. Yeah, but you can see for yourself. Here's one of the rings now. Boy, it's exactly like mine. Here, you see, Mr. Quaker Man? Say, isn't that a beauty? And look here, it's adjustable. You can make it fit any size finger. Gee, that's a great idea. Because this is one ring you'll always want to wear. Well, mine's got a secret compartment just like yours, too, Junior. Listen, boys and girls, here's the best news of all. To get one of these beautiful gold-plated Dick Tracy secret rings free, you just mail five Quaker puffed wheat or five Quaker puffed rice box tops, or some of each, with your name and address printed on a plain piece of paper to Dick Tracy, Box L, Chicago. And you get your Dick Tracy secret ring free. Isn't that great? And that's not all. Tess Trueheart went to the jewelers with us. And she fell in love with a very good-looking gold-plated bangle bracelet. The charms show Dick Tracy, Jr., and Lucky Four-Leaf Clover. Listen, girls... Be the first in your crowd to wear a smart, gold-plated Dick Tracy bracelet, as well as a beautiful Dick Tracy secret ring. It's free, too. You just send five Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice box tops for your Dick Tracy bracelet to Dick Tracy, Box L, Chicago. Be sure to write whether you want the Dick Tracy secret ring or the Dick Tracy bangle bracelet or both. And remember... Send five Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice box tops for each one to Dick Tracy, Box L, Chicago. Now, don't wait, because those secret rings will go like hotcakes. As soon as a package of Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice is empty, tear off the top and save it. And be sure to ask Mother to get you some Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice at the grocer's so you can get your Dick Tracy secret ring soon. Adventure fans, calling all Dick Tracy fans. 
Stand by for another exciting Dick Tracy adventure tomorrow at this same time. That is all. Dad, you'll probably spend years teaching your son how to hit a baseball, how to throw a tight spiral and hit the receiver, how to hit the strike zone. The question is this, how much time will you spend teaching your son what not to hit? Teach your son early and often that all violence against women is wrong. For tips on what to say, visit endabuse.org. Brought to you by the Family Violence Prevention Fund, the Wyatt Institute for Violence Prevention, the Ad Council, and KWUR. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. And this is the Kworth Theater of the Air. True. My name is David Brunel Brutman. My name is David Ranstrom. And I'm Alex Jensen. Hi, Alex. Hi. Don't you guys think it's kind of funny that that episode of Dick Tracy was about hypnotism? And then they start telling you that your parents should buy you this ring. <laughs> Quaker product. You know that, Quaker did, that did not occur to me, but it, yes, that's hilarious. It's like they're brainwashing children. They I don't are. Know what you're talking about. I thought that, that actually whole, that was what my paper was about. I thought that I that wrote. nobody cares. I thought that that whole digression about slang was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why that I was, chose the episode. That's why I chose it. That they they. I mean, what you were saying was somebody must have complained about the rough language used in <laughs> in the Dick Tracy show because they just went on about it. That was so funny. They did. That it was like five minutes or something. It was it was <laughs> ridiculously long. But we hope it that was, you learned. It was a, lesson. a ridiculous amount of audio real estate. Yeah, I learned that I can never get a job in the so, real world if I use. So slang. we were we were waiting uh, for our audience to stabilize. We didn't want to cut anybody off. We didn't want to start in the middle of Sky Pride. So we're going to we're going to take be a terrible. Yes, that would be awful. So we're going to take a quick musical break, and then when we return, episode one of Sky Pirates! We'll see you in a bit here on K-Worth, Theater of the Air. True that. Slipper by the fireplace, a cello light in its case. Soon she's down the stairs, her morning elegance. She wears the sound of water, makes her dream.
you have been waiting with bated breath. The premiere, the world premiere of KWUR's original series, Sky Pirates! Enjoy. Paris, France, 1933. The city is not having a good day. A cold, thin wind sweeps leaves along her cobbled streets, and native and expat alike seek refuge in her cafes. Gulliver Nash, a hero of the late war, is in one of these cafes. An airship trundles by above, laden with cheese and promise. But below is Nash. It is two in the afternoon, and he is drunk. I am not. You are, and it's disgraceful. Andre? Oui, monsieur. Another brandy and soda, please. Oui, monsieur. Play that, Andre. Le Capitaine is that enough. Georgina Purcell, Nash's first mate, is not in the best of moods. No way, George. You're disgrace, Nash. That's what I told him. Stay out of this. Nash, what are you on about? It's scarcely past lunch and you're knackered. I don't even know what that means. The men are getting restless, Nash. They're getting tired of Paris. But George, who could ever tire of Paris? <sighs> City of lights, romance... Mystery. Nash. Could almost stay here forever. Andre, where's that brandy? You did this yesterday, Nash, and I don't like it. You can't stay on the ground this long. It ain't good for you. You've got a sky and planks under you to be happy. I was thinking, you know. Yes? That I might sell the feathered beagle. Why, you... With a single swing, Georgina Purcell removes Nash from his bar stool. You wouldn't dare. You slimy, ill-begotten Yankee bucket of... George helps her fallen captain to his feet and orders him an espresso. What? I do not. I'm pummeling senseless. You're not moving the story along. Andrea, an espresso, s'il vous plaît. That's better. I want mine with foam on top. And some jimmies. Sober up, Nash. We've got work to do. Work? Yes. There will be work ahead. The work of a daring few. The work of the mad thrill-seekers. The work of... Sky Pirates! Later, in 
in the streets of Paris. How do you feel, Nash? Peachy. Like there's a little team of mountain climbers scaling my head from the inside. Where are we going? The hangar. It's time we got out of here. But the wine, George. It flows so freely here. That's part of what I mean. Anyhow, we've got the job from DuPont. We do? Industrious blighter, name of Von Grupp, is getting in a shipment of gold wire this coming Tuesday. Sports and hungry. Is he a crowd? Belgian. Well, I'll be sober by Tuesday. You had better be. All right, George. We'll do this one run because we need the money and the change of scenery. I guarantee you'll have more fun than you've had in six months of brandy and sodas. We'll see, George. Get the boys together. We've got things to steal. We find ourselves several days later at the workshop of evil itself. The home of the most pernicious mind in science. The lair of the wickedest man to ever wield a wrench. Really? You're too kind. The hanger of Baron Klaus von Grupp. Born into a Belgian banking family, the young von Grupp... Don't do that. But, uh, Just don't. It is simply too early for an exposition time. Well, really? Just tell them I'm the villain. Grupp has assembled a group of potential investors this day to fund his research for military prototypes. He is hoping to score an arms contract with the Luftwaffe, the air force of the newly ascended Nazi regime. Because I'm the villain. Because he is the villain. Look, don't do my job for me. Someone has to. Grupp leads the investors through his workshop. Technicians with welding torches make minute adjustments to a fearsome arsenal. Truly, gentlemen and ladies, the airship is the future of aviation. Sufficiently armored and filled with inert, lighter-than-air gas, nothing could take it out of the sky. Baron, what is that contraption there? The Baron turns his attention to a large bundle of black fabric on the floor of the workshop. You've a keen eye, Herr Kurtzman. That is the deflated envelope of my prototype, which you may see bits of lying about this workshop. We shall visit each in turn. The envelope is comprised of an experimental fabric that has been bonded to steel. It is impossible to puncture, rip, shred, or ignite. Is that so? A slim, elegant woman with a severe expression takes a long drag on her cigarette. Does my lady wish a demonstration? Idle talk displeases me, Baron. I traffic in results. Very well, Lady von Schwarzhofen. Schwarzhofen was my husband. You may call me Lady Magdalena. My lady is too kind by half. Grupp snaps a finger, and attendants begin inflating the envelope. You have nothing to fear. We are merely inflating the envelope with air. It is nothing dangerous or particularly flammable. Particularly? You see over here one of our experimental weapons platforms. I call it the lightning cannon. But what does it do? Allow my creation to speak for me, sir. The Baron rolls out an evil-looking contraption on a dolly, and some lackeys roll out a sheet of plywood shaped like an American tank. This is the weapon the Reich didn't know it wanted, ladies and gentlemen. We just power it up and... Effective at up to 500 yards. And now, let us test the envelope. We simply recalibrate, power up and... As you can see, no damage to the envelope. Perhaps it is simply that your lightning cannon has not enough stopping power. 
Nonsense. It is simply that the envelope cannot be... A huge anchor bursts through the skylight and lands on the envelope, popping it. The investors run for cover and scream. It is Gulliver Nash and the Feathered Beagle, his airship. He slides down the chain and gestures affably with a sword. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We've come to pick up a shipment and we'll be out of your hair in no time. See you, George. Too right, I do. Engaging Magneto Grips. Shaking the glass from her hat, Lady Magdalena suddenly recognizes the pirate captain. There is a luger in her boot. Nash! My envelope! Baron Von Grupp suddenly realizes he is sitting in front of a fully operational weapons platform. They popped my envelope. Secured. Take her up, George. Pleasure doing business, folks. Well, that puts a different spin on things, doesn't it? Up faster, please, George. Things don't winch up faster than they drop now. They should. Gentlemen, this concludes our demonstration. Please proceed in an orderly fashion to the lobby. I will meet you there shortly. Nash, trapped as the cannon's aiming function calibrates, does the only thing he can. What, climb? He begins to swing back and forth on the anchor's chain. Oh, good plan. <clears throat> Hold still and die like a man, damn you! Taggart, a little cover fire would be fantastic. What, are you mad? There's a huge munition stuff down there. An explosion would kill us all. But they are shooting at me. So don't get shot. You're a help. Why secure? Stop swinging. Dumb ballast. Keep winching and get us out. The anchor is winched all the way into the feathered beagle. Nash falls off the anchor onto the floor of the hold, grabbing his shoulder. Distraction, she says. In and out like thread through a needle, she says. Nash! Oh my god, you've been shot! Nash stumbles to his feet and hits a button. Mr. Stegman, take us up. Aye, sir. Nash, I... I'm fine. Just scraped my arm. More shock than anything. I was just trying to make you feel guilty. You know, your concern for me really brings out the color in your eyes. But... We've got our gold wire, don't we? We do. I'm alive, aren't I? You are. I'd forgotten how much fun that is. You had. All right, we, we fence the stuff and maybe go somewhere for a while till the heat is off. Then it seemed to be a great deal of heat. They had guns that shot lightning. Have. Missed. Nash, we're on an even keel and now about ten clicks from the workshops. Woof. You've been shot. Yeah. You're going to be all right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, come off it, Aberon Nelson. Stegman says clear and ready for new coordinates. Where are we going? Monaco. And Nash? Yeah. You sure you're all right? Yeah. I was lucky. I'm fine. Good. And as the feathered beagle scurries off towards Monaco, Baron von Grupp kicks at a pile of rubble in his warehouse. Yeah! Scrambles the drones! After that airship. My God, this is embarrassing. I'll never get that money, and I'll never get a contract. Don't talk that way. Why not? It's hopeless. Not so, Baron. Lady Magdalena, you, uh... You do not find me at the best of times. Do I not? You saw what happened? My second airship ruined... My lightning cannon's calibration system shot to hell, and me humiliated in front of the investors. Your second prototype? You have another? Perhaps I should show you. Yes. Yes, follow me. Flicking open a secret compartment of his pocket watch, Grupp exposes a panel with numerous buttons. 
He pushes one. The floor slides open to reveal a secret passage. After you, Lady Magdalena. Grupp leads Magdalena down a flight of stairs into a well-lit atrium. What is this? Behold, the Death's Head. Grupp turns on floodlights to reveal a huge black airship bristling with armor and weapons, tethered in a spacious underground hangar. Oh! The fruition of ten years' research and work, Magdalena. Hmm. It is rather beautiful, in a pointy sort of way. You are a woman of ambition, madam. I know this by your reputation, and I can see it in your behavior. Surely, you see the potential in this airship. You kept this hidden from the investors. I didn't want to paint swastikas all over this one. It looks so much nicer in plain black, you know? That's not your real reason. Hmm. Klaus, I put forth here a proposition. I am an honorary commandant within the Luftwaffe. You're in the Luftwaffe? A widow has so little to do with her hands, you know. That's not your real reason. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I like you. I can secure you a contract, you know. A very lucrative one. I am aware. Here are my conditions. Of course. You get this airship operational. It can leave at a moment's notice. You take me aboard. I share command of the ship. We leave to accomplish a goal. A weapons contract for the Reich, if this is done. That's all well and good, my lady. But what's this goal we're to accomplish? You are to find and kill Captain Gulliver Nash. Kill Gulliver Nash? The hero of our story? How can this be? What secrets do our villains hold closely to their evil, evil chests? What will the good guys do in Monaco? Does Nash cheat at cards? Must I only speak in questions? All these and more answered in the next spellbinding episode of Sky Pirates. And you are listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air here on KWUR 90.3 FM. You can listen online at www.kwur.com. I'm David Reinstrom. My name is David Brunel Brutman. And I'm Alex Jensen. And you just heard the world premiere of our very own homegrown show, Sky Pirates. You will be you should expect to hear more quality stuff like that coming out uh coming over the airwaves in the coming weeks and months, and not just Sky Pirates. So two fourth uh, our forthcoming shows, The Adventures of The Human Cord and Simon Colt. Those are two different shows. The Human Court is our superhero show, and Simon Colt is our horror western. So keep your ears peeled, as it were, you for those. <laughs> right. And if you liked what you heard, uh, we're going to be having an interview later uh, later in these couple of hours with Robert Panico, who is the the talented fellow who has composed and conducted the music for this series. So we're gonna we're gonna have him in the studio, uh, and later on in the show, why don't you call in and tell us what you thought of what you heard. Uh, the number is 314-935-5987. Uh, that's 314-935-KWUR. Call in and give us a think. Tell us what you thunked. All right. So we're, yeah. we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with more exciting, mind-bending, nail-biting radio theater. Woo! Here on KWUR Theater of the Air. That's what I like. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to KWUR 90.3 FM Clayton. The K stands for quality. And this is, of course, the K-Worth Theater of the Air. My name is David Brunel Brutman. And I'm Alex Jensen. And today, for in honor of the world premiere of Sky Pirates, our brand spanking new 
uh, series here on KWR Theater of the Air, we are doing a 1930s theme. So now we're going to play for you some stuff, but first, a message. Thank you, David. Uh, I just want to tell you guys that on Friday, February 27th, uh, that would be tomorrow. <laughs> uh, it is the Chamber Music Concert, concert Series, uh, presented at the Danforth University Center in conjunction with the Department of Music in Arts and Sciences. Uh, this free concert series is held in the formal lounge located in the Danforth University Center, more commonly known as the Duck, at 8 o'clock p.m., featuring performances by the Trinity Piano, Piano Trio, Marlissa Hudson, Ariana String Quartet, and the Nuclear Percussion Ensemble. Uh, the series hosts both excitement and talent. Uh, it sounds pretty fun, so you guys should try and make your way out there. And now we are going to be listening to some more radio theater. We are indeed. Thank you very much for that message, Alex. You are so welcome. So, Alex, tell me, Hi. what do you think of when you think of the 1930s? I think of the Great Depression. The Great Depression. And what do you think of when <laughs> you think of the Great Depression? Skinny people. Uh, like orphans? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, orphans. Here's Perfect. what I think of when I think of the Great Depression. <laughs> I think of, well, I think of a lot of things, but I think of little orphan Annie. Mm. The delightful red-headed child who originated in newspaper comic strips and had for many years a radio serial. Mm -hmm. And we are going to play an episode of that radio serial. All right. Now or yeah, like now. Okay, like right now. All right. So, so this episode is uh, called the Wright Brothers' thirty-third anniversary. Can you oh, believe that? The yeah. thirty. I mean, uh. we, we had what the hundredth anniversary like three years ago ish. Yeah, something like that. They're about. This is the thirty-third anniversary show. Uh, it's it's quite delightful. I <laughs> you're you're gonna like it. Basically, I'll just say that you're you're gonna like it. The, you're going to have to have some suspension of disbelief here, though. <laughs> and also, do keep an ear out for some more hilarious advertising mm -hmm. at the beginning and end of this episode of Little Orphan Annie. So without further ado, let's hear it. The little chatterbox, the one with pretty auburn locks. Whom do you see? It's little orphan Annie. She and Sandy make a pair. They never seem to have a care. Cute little she, this little orphan Annie. Bright eyes, cheeks of rosy glow. There's a store of healthiness handy. Might size always on the go. If you want to know, Princess Sandy always wears a sunny smile. Now, wouldn't it be worth the while if you could be like little orphan Annie? Here it is, 5:45 now, orphan Annie time, and Ovaltine time again. And now. If you're one of Annie's new radio friends who have just started to listen to her adventures lately, I want to ask you, have you tried Ovaltine yet? Well, if you haven't, you certainly want to ask your mother to get you some right away, because if you think it's fun listening to Orphan Annie, you just try drinking Ovaltine. See how much fun that is. Talk about good, 
Why, it's even better than having a chocolate soda right in your own home whenever you want it. But that's only half of it. Ovaltine not only tastes good, but it's good for you, too. Every single glassful you drink gives you important strength and energy-building food elements to help make you husky and healthy like Orphan Annie herself. And isn't that the way you want to be? Well, remember, drinking your Ovaltine is one of the surest ways to help. So ask your mother to get you a can of Ovaltine at her drug or grocery store right now so you can have a big, delicious glass full with your dinner tonight and with all your meals every day from now on. But now, for our story. You remember, lots of mysterious things have been happening around Simmons Corner this summer ever since those two strange men came to live in the old Gregory barn near the silos. And right now, Orphan Annie and Joe Corntassel know the answer to a big secret that's kept the whole town guessing. They know those two strangers are Bob Bond and Professor Adolph Washington Kenyon, and that they're inventing a secret new silent airplane for the United States government. And Annie and Joe are the only ones who know about it, because Bob Bond made them promise to keep it secret. But then, just lately, a mysterious foreigner, Mr. Nicholson, came to Simmons Corners. Bob Bond says he's a spy from a foreign government trying to steal the plans of our new plane. And then Annie and Joe found out that Mr. Nicholson keeps guns in his house. And the next thing we knew, we heard that Nicholson is suspected of poisoning Bob Bond's watchdog, Blood. But let's see what Annie's doing now. Last time, Bond was telling Annie and Joe the story of the Wright brothers and the invention of the first airplane. And here it is the next day. And we find Annie and Joe just out of school, racing each other for the Gregory Barn to hear the rest of that story. And listen, Joe's talking. Come on, Annie. I'm going to beat you. Is that so? You better so. Unless you get the lead out of your feet in an awful hurry. Don't you worry about the lead in my feet, Joe. We've been running a long ways. I've just been saving myself. Well, there's no need in saving yourself any longer. We're almost there. Yeah. And I'm coming. Gosh. I thought you were all in, Annie. No, sir. In a long race, it's the one who goes easy at the start who's most likely to win. Just, uh, I guess it is. Wait a minute, Annie. Slow down. Slow down. <laughs> All right, Joe. Next time, remember on a long race, not to wear yourself out at the start. You you bet I will. Wait a minute, Joe. Slow down. That's blood barking. It sure is. And here he comes. We don't want to be running like this. He might get excited and not know us. Stop, Joe. Stop. All right. Here, blood. Here, blood. Secret measures is just us, blood. You know Annie and Joe. Shucks, I'll say he knows us. Look at him wag his tail. Gosh, I'll bet we're just about the only people in Simmons Corners who can come up to like this without getting bitten. I wouldn't wonder, Joe. Blood's a mighty good watchdog. Aren't you, old boy? I'll say he is. He keeps Professor Kenyon's plane in that barn. Just about as secret as anything could keep it. Yeah, and he will keep it secret, too, if folks let him. Won't you, Blood? What do you mean, Annie? Well, you're not forgetting what Mr. Bond said about somebody trying to poison the dog, are you, Joe? Gosh, I was forgetting it. Of all the dirty tricks, the worst is to harm a poor dog. It sure is, Joe. But I guess that man Nicholson wouldn't stop at anything to get what he wanted. He's mighty smooth, and I... Well, there you are. Well, I wondered what Blood was barking about. Hello, Mr. Bond. Come on over. We're coming. You bet. Come on, Amy. Don't worry. I won't be behind. Well, somehow I thought you'd both be over this afternoon. Suffering, son, because Mr. Bond, you knew we would. Didn't you promise to go on telling us about the Wright brothers? I do remember saying something like that. Come in, come in. 
Blood, you stay out there and keep watch. Understand? Good dog. Come in and I'll shut the door. So, you remembered about the Wright brothers, eh? Did we? Shove's all during my geography lesson today. I was seeing airplanes flying across my map of the United States. And that's exactly what airplanes are doing, Joe. Flying across the map of the United States at all hours, day and night in all directions. Carrying the mail and uniting our whole country in a network of airlines just as it's already united by a series of railroads. Gosh, I never looked at aviation like that before. That's what it amounts to now. A great new method of transportation, faster than the wind, that is becoming safer day by day as radio guide beacons and rays are perfected and landing fields spread across the country. And all because 36 years ago, back in 1900, Wilbur and Orville Wright, two American brothers, started their first experiments with the airplane. God, you tell us about it, Mr. Bond. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get a little more comfortable if I'm going to tell you the whole story of the Wright brothers. Professor Kenyon's working in the next room, but well, we can go through this door to where the plane is and sit on that old workbench of ours. Come on. Did anybody try to hurt blood last night, Mr. Bond? No, nothing at all last night, Annie. Just that one dose of poison of which you didn't eat enough of to kill him. I guess Nicholson's laying back and waiting. Huh, here we are. Hop up. Get comfortable. I'll just light this old pipe of mine. There. Hmm. That's good. Now then, what do you want to know? Shucks, all about the Wright brothers, Mr. Bond. <laughs> well, that's a pretty big order, Joe. Because there's a lot about the Wright brothers. They were remarkable men. You got yesterday, Mr. Bond, to where their father uh, brought them a little model airplane. Oh, yes, yes. Well, that toy, that little model airplane, set those two boys, Wilbur and Orville Wright, off on their great invention. I've always thought that parents who gave their children mechanical toys might be helping them greatly in their futures. Well, anyhow, the two Wright boys became interested in aviation from that moment. But they had their livings to make. So... They made bicycles to make those livings. What happened? <laughs> they spent a lot of money, Annie. All they made, in fact. But they weren't discouraged by their failures. No, sir. They picked a place on the Carolina sand flats by the Atlantic Ocean, a place called Kill Devil Hill, four miles south of Kitty Hawk, for their first experiments in gliding. Gliding? Oh, yes, yes. The Wrights were two good scientists to try to walk before they learned how to crawl. They wanted to know all there was to know about the air before they tried to fly in it. So, for a whole year, they sent up different kinds of kites and experimented with them, learning everything they could. Then, the next year, 1901, they tried gliders, planes built to carry a man merely on the current of the wind and without power. It was during these experiments that they learned how to curve the surface of their planes, so... They would sustain them better in the air. And then what happened? Well, then, after three years of experimenting, they were ready for the great test. They built a plane with a motor in it and propeller, a power plane. A plane they hoped would be able to lift a man from the ground with its own force. And did it? Oh, not so fast, Joe. The Wright brothers weren't in such a hurry. Remember, they spent three years before they even got to this power plane. And a queer sort of plane it was, judged by the planes of today. A biplane. That means it had two planes, one built over the other. 
and there was no place for the operator to sit. He had to lie on a sort of a platform, flat on his face. Gosh! But the Wright brothers built it, carefully and by themselves, and then took it to pieces to Kitty Hawk, where they assembled it. No, Kitty Hawk, with its sand dunes, is a lonesome place. There's nothing but sand and the sea there. Sand and the sea and the sky and a wind that always blows. But there, on those lonesome sand dunes, Orville Wright, son of an American minister, was the first man in the whole world who ever soared into the air in a plane powered by a motor. Leaping lizards! He actually did it, Mr. Bond? Yes, he actually did it, Annie. On a cold, wind-blown day, the 17th of December, 1903. Only five people besides his brother Wilbur saw the flight, and these were mostly coast guards from the Atlantic. But the plane did soar into the air, though it only stayed in the air for 12 seconds. But history had been made. History that was and is to change man's whole means of transportation. For on that December day, 33 years ago... Man first succeeded in conquering the air in a machine that lifted itself with its own power. Gosh, that's pretty wonderful. Wonderful? Why, Joe, it's the greatest thing that's happened on this earth in the last hundred years. Mmm, that little flight of Orville Wright's at Kitty Hawk. It meant that man had conquered the last element, the air. It's pretty exciting, all right. What happened after that, Mr. Bond? Well, after that first flight... The Wright brothers listen, would... Listen to what, Joe? Don't you hear? Isn't that blood barking? Say, that is blood. Wait till I have a look out this window. Well, what's up, Mr. Bond? I don't know. I can't see anything yet. Boy, he's sure barking at somebody. Just listen to him. Lizards, what's happened? That was a gun. Somebody shot blood. Come on. Gosh, come on, Annie. You bet I'm coming. If anybody's killed blood, I'll... Yeah, I... he's not killed. Listen to him growl. Hurry, Mr. Bond. Oh, this lock stuck. It's stuck. It... Ah, there it is. Here, blood. Here, blood. Joe, look. Over there. Just going into the woods. I don't see anything, Annie. Well, I did. Oh, good old blood. What's the matter, boy? What is it? He's suffering selfish, Mr. Bond. He has been shot. Look at his front leg there. Let me see, boy. Let me see. Now, I'm not going to hurt you. Hmm. That's a bullet wound, all right. Lucky it didn't hit the bone. It went through the flesh and muscles here. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your blood. Sore, eh? Well, we'll get you fixed up in no time at all. Oh, I guess you'll have to stay inside for a while. What a mean trick to shoot a dog. It is, and if I get my hands on the man that did it, I... I saw the man, Mr. Bond. You did, Annie? When? Where? Just as we ran out of the door. I happened to look off there towards the woods, and I saw a man just disappearing into those red sumac bushes. Who was it, Annie? That's just it. I can't say for sure. I'm not positive. I didn't get a good enough look. But he sure looked like just one man, and that's Nicholson. Well, what do you know about that? Blood has been shot, and the man who shot him looks like Nicholson. Only Annie can't say for certain because she didn't get a good enough look to be sure it was Nicholson. But someone is certainly trying to get rid of Bob Bond's watchdog. What do you suppose he'll try to do next? And by the way, have you ever noticed that whenever there's something exciting to be done, it seems there's just nothing that can stop our Annie? And I guess that's why so many boys and girls want to know how they can be like Annie. Peppy and healthy and ready for whatever fun's popping around them. Well, now, here's a tip. One of the very best ways to start 
is to drink Ovaltine every single day, with meals and in between meals, too. All those important minerals and vitamins and things contained in every glassful of keen-tasting Ovaltine may help to give you real orphan Annie pep. And when you have that, you feel so good and have so much extra energy, you can be ready for almost anything that comes along, just as our Annie always is. And so you really ought to ask your mother to get you a can of Ovaltine at her drug or grocery store right away so you can start right in with a big, delicious glass full for supper this very night. And you certainly want to be here right on the dot tomorrow at Orphan Annie time to see if Annie can find out who shot Bob Bond's dog. Until tomorrow at the same time, then, goodbye. That was a little orphan Annie. I felt like I had to adjust the the tenor of my voice because of the the faint the fading <laughs> organ music. music. Yeah, it is great weather for radio right it now. It is fantastic wa- radio weather. It's oh it's my god, a dark and stormy night just now, ladies and gentlemen. Th- this is the Kaworth Theater of the Air, by the way. Hi, hi, I'm David Reinstrom. Just now, ladies and gentlemen, there was if you if you are in the area, you probably heard it. This enormous thundercrack that sounded like a, a gunshot going off by our ears. We're pretty sure that something on on campus the, was yeah struck. something on on the the nearest quad exploded. That is my theory. Hopefully not a pedestrian. Hopefully not a pedestrian. You know how that pedestrian could have avoided being struck by lightning, David? How could he have avoided being struck by lightning? Or David? she. We're an egalitarian society, you understand. Yes, certainly. Uh, well, he or she could have avoided that lightning by outrunning it, if he or she had the necessary vim and pep. And do you know how he might, he or she might have gotten that necessary vim or pep? Ovaltine! Very good, Miss Jensen! <laughs> Remember, children, drink Ovaltine at every conceivable opportunity. When you would have <laughs> breakfast... Ovaltine. When you would have lunch. Ovaltine. If you're in the hospital and you get an IV. Ovaltine. That's right, because Ovaltine isn't just good. It's the lifeblood that sustains our nation. Do you think uh, that Ovaltine will send us free Ovaltine now? Probably not, because that was creepy and ironic. Hmm. Yeah, remember what I was saying about the depression and skinny people? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure everyone they, they who listens to entirely this show... on Ovaltine. <laughs> I'm sure everyone who listened to this show became morbidly obese by the time they were 15. I don't know. Ovaltine is kind of good for you, right? Doesn't it have calcium in it? Uh, yeah, it's got some. Uh, it's also it's it's got some trace some, nutrients, some like kind selenium. Of it's also like chocolate powder. So I, I mean, mean, I mean, they're still to this day promoting it as healthy for you. <laughs> so it's a scam. Well, maybe people that want to be, you know, husky like Orphan Annie. Right. Husky. You yeah. Husky. See, that was the thing. Like. You you wanted to if you were a child you wanted to bulk up because if you were skinny that meant that you were dying of starvation. Hold on, I think we're glossing over in the bread line. We're we're glossing over an important point here. That dog was shot. Oh my god! <laughs> they shot the and they, they poisoned it. They they have poisoned so and terrible. shot blood. That's very sad. Uh, he's a good dog, but they I, shot him in the leg, so it's okay. 
I, I don't because even dog know legs are so big. I don't even know what to think about that. I really don't. Why don't we take a break? <laughs> yeah. Okay. We need to reflect. Why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we're going to have some original, more original content yes. uh, in line with our 1930s theme here on this stormy K-Worth Theater of the Air. So we'll see you shortly. Yes.
Welcome back. That was a fun little journey we took to Funky Town. Yes. Or Groovy Town. <coughs> this is more of a mellow town in my mellow opinion. Town. So that was Mellow Town, and this was <laughs> the k Theater of the Air. Sure is. Here on 90.3 FM. K-W-U-R, K-Town, 90.3 FM. Your home for underground uh, radio. Well, we actually have that. We'll, we'll be hearing more station IDs later in the show. Right, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to do it that way. Mm-hmm. So today uh, we've got we had earlier the show our world premiere of Sky Pirates, an all new original series. Uh, and so we're going with a 1930s theme, and we have some previous sketches that we've done in years of yore mm-hmm. that either uh, that take place in the 1930s. So we're going to play those for you. Uh, first up, we have a little piece that I like to call. Artemis St. Clair. That's weird. I like to call it that, too. That's so weird. That is so weird. We like to call things the same thing. Wait, wait, you guys. All the time. You call it that? Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Uh, So coming up in the next hour, we have an interview with composer Robert Panico. We have story time with Alex. Yay. And we have more original sketches from us truly. Ours truly? Yours Uh Everyone's we, we truly. I think I, yours truly because uh, oh, yours okay. can be used as a plural. Uh, oh. Yours truly, the KWUR Theater of the Air. More parsing and <laughs> more, grammatical more grammar later. Stay tuned to KWUR Theater of the Air for oh, grammar. Oh, we've just lost all our listeners. Damn it! Just kidding. All right, so we're gonna play for you Artemis Saint Clair, which is our film noir, noir. film noir, uh, radio noir pastiche. Uh, and it features intrigue and a sexy female detective. Hmm. You're going to want to listen to this one. So without further ado, we present Artemis St. Clair. The fat man was dead. When they found him, he had more holes in him than a pine cone full of bees. I never liked him much, but he was my partner, so that's something. With Houston gone, it was only me and the secretary, Jonah. Jonah called me that morning. Said I had a visitor. A uh, Miss St. Clair? Yeah. Got a visitor. Send him in. He was small and sallow. Sort of like a candle made of animal fat. Or a cardboard box full of cannolis. He was dressed in a fine gray charcoal suit that looked more expensive than a Bombay chicken made of sapphires. What do you want? You are Aunt Miss St. Clair, yes? Yes. You are a private investigator, yes? Yes. I am Mr. Thebes. I require your services. There is an object that is very important to me. I need you to find it. He had a sort of dulled intensity, like a spoon made of butter. What is this object, Mr. Thebes? It is a statuette, an Incan work of unsurpassed value, a wombat of solid 24-karat gold. They call it the Andean Wombat. I will reward you handsomely to fetch it for me. The offer seemed good, so I took it. I took it like a bear takes a treadmill. With Houston gone, cases were few and far between. I have reason to believe that the Wombat is in the possession of one Mr. Parvalesco. He has it in a safe deposit box somewhere. I need it very badly. I need for you to find that safe deposit box and bring the Wombat to me. Maybe it was stealing. I didn't care. I was as used to stealing as a starfish is used to paying for groceries and wampum. 
I'll do it, Mr. Thebes. But I'll need some money up front. Operating expenses. You understand. How about $300? Yeah, that works. I followed up on the leads Mr. Thebes gave me. A pair of broken spectacles and an envelope with the address of the Hotel Perdito. I made my way there and sashayed up to the desk clerk. Oh, uh, uh can I help you? Yes. Oh, uh, who, 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 who are you looking for? Are, are you looking for someone? He was short and sweating like a chia pet in a Moldovan prison. I'm looking for Constantine Parvalescu. Oh, uh, 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 let me check the room. Uh, the looking up the room with the, the looking and let me looking up. Uh, <coughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, room 109, miss. Is he in? Yes! Yes, yes, he is, yes. I had reduced him to a sniveling pulp, a bowl full of kittens rolled in moistened cornstarch. I made my way up to the room and knocked three times. Come in! It's, it's you. you! It was Artemis St. Clair, my old partner! It was Houston, the partner I'd taken for dead. And he was encroaching on my interior monologue. I, this was my interior monologue. I don't know what you're trying to pull, Miss Ebert. At any rate, it was getting confusing. More confusing than a poodle dipped in pudding. Your analogies never even made sense. That doesn't matter. What are you doing here, Houston? I'm looking for Constantine Pavlescu. It seems you've found him, Artemis. I am Constantine Pavlescu. And... Winsleydale, Houston. And on Fridays and bank holidays, I'm a dance hall barmaid named Daisy. But that's not important right now. I assume you've come for the wombat. Yes. Yes, I have, Wensleydale. I knew thieves would send someone eventually, but I didn't expect you to show up. You see, thieves would do anything to get the wombat from me. I had to fake my own death in order to allay suspicion that I possessed the thing. Apparently didn't fool him. You're right, fat man. It didn't fool me for a second. And now your former partner has lured me right to you. Ah, thieves. Popping out of the shadows to point a gun at me. How typically underhanded. How vile. How expected. Didn't you think I'd prepared for this contingency? Ah, uh, well, no, I was hoping you hadn't. Well, I, I did. I happen to have the Andean wombat right here in my position. If you shoot me, I will throw it out of the window where it will be certain to be dented very seriously. No! No, you wouldn't dare! I would, Thebes. I certainly... No, you wouldn't, Pavelescu. You were always too fat to move quickly, especially in grade school, when we were gym partners. You lost that three-legged race for us so long ago on that fateful field day. Now it comes full circle, Pavelescu. Now I have revenge for that awful day of shame. Now I have the Andean Wombat. Isn't it beautiful, Miss St. Clair? You just murdered my partner. What What do you expect me to say? I, I don't know. Isn't it pretty and stuff? Yes, but, but my partner... Oh, well, he was dead and fat anyway. Aren't you going to pay me? I'll tell you something, Miss St. Clair. I never pay for anything I don't have to. He was pointing that gun at me in an awfully threatening way, like a carnival plushie made of Tabasco sauce. I've already left one body here, so two won't be much of a stretch. Prepare to- Ah! No! I dropped the wombat! Wait a second, that's not gold! 
That's gone fire, and it's covering chocolate. No! His momentary distraction allowed me to draw my gun like a panther in Spain. Happy Easter, mother f I wrapped the wombat in newspaper. The fat man's papers revealed the location of the true wombat. I hocked it and took the chocolate one home. It turned out to be delicious. Jonah and I ate it with a pint of Ben and Jerry's all-natural Vermont ice cream. Available in your local grocery store's freezer section or at a Ben and Jerry's near you. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the KWR uh, Theater of the Air. And this is um, KWR Clayton, 90.3 FM. And I have a message for you. All it takes is one spark, one careless act to start a wildfire. So next time you build a campfire, find an open site, clear from dry brush and overhanging branches. Be sure to keep the fire small. And when you're done, properly drown the fire. Stir it with a shovel and then drown it again. <laughs> because only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, the Ad Council, and in partnership with the National Association of Broadcasters. Thank you, Alex, for that very useful and edifying public service announcement. You are so welcome. <laughs> Stop laughing! Sorry, uh, I had a tickle. A little tickle in my throat. <laughs> David, are you okay? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> chaos ensues oh, in the station. Oh. <laughs> you, you've given him apoplexy, Alex. Oh, God. My apologies. All right, I'm so, crying a little. <laughs> he is crying a but little. But it's the good kind of cry. It's the good, it's kind, the of good kind of crying. Like, like first black president cry. Yeah, it's the kind of crying <laughs> It's the kind of cry that you would cry if, for example, you were about to have a little chat with uh, the composer for our original series, Sky Pirates. Are we going to do that? Yes. Yeah, right oh. now. Oh, there he is. Hold on, I'm tearing up. No, Robert, don't look at me like this. No. I can't help it. Hi, Robert. Hi, Robert. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Hello. Mr. Robert Panico, uh, who put together all the music for Sky Pirates. It is a very true fact. Very, very true. Yes, don't, indeed. Don't, you don't get to use so, the creepy voice, Robert. <laughs> use the creepy voice. No, 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 no. You're the straight man. We're the creepy people. Oh, I see how it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Is Robert, welcome works? to the station. Yes, welcome indeed. Uh, so, Sky Pirates music. Awesome. Thank you very much. We we like it very much, and I hope our listeners like it very much. Yeah, hopefully. How, how did you... I, I just... I, I've never been to one of the rehearsals or anything, um, so I, I'm wondering how exactly it is that you, you coordinated um, all of this. Obviously, it's not, you know, it's not just you and a whole bunch of different instruments. It's a whole bunch of different people, so... How did you, you know, let them know what you were looking for and coordinate that? Well, I would have to give uh, credit to David for pulling them all together. Um, Thank you, Robert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He uh, <clears throat> he pulled all these people together, and uh, 
uh, got a whole range of instruments together. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, strings and uh, some French horns and even mm-hmm. a clarinet, which you've heard in the uh, uh, Baron von Grupp's theme, has a prominent clarinet section in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two fabulous clarinet players. Oh, they're absolutely fantabulous. Yeah, so, I mean, what's the, why don't you, for uh, our listeners' benefit, what's the approximate size of our ensemble? We've got about, uh, was it, four violins, two violas, a cello, uh, anywhere between three to five <laughs> French horns. And, uh, we have a lot of them. We have a, we have a lot. Uh, two percussionists. Yes, two percussionists, uh, uh, piano played by yours truly, yep. and... Uh, that's pretty much more, and there's more to come. We even got a flute and a trumpet coming up in a future piece. That's excellent. So what's okay? You're you you've got uh, a character, twenty and people, and you're gonna write a theme Awful. for that character. So you sit down. What's the first thing you do? Well, the first one of the first things I have to do, of course, is uh, discuss with David, and uh, I know he has very uh, specific ideas. And um, I would like to say again, I don't know if this has been made clear. I'm the director of the show. Yes, he is the director of Sky Pirates. I, I wear the pants. I hold the scepter. Continue, Thrall. Well, we'll have to interview you too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, one of the things he wanted is uh, kind of a uh, um, an Irish kind of sound to it, but it's still got to sound like pirates. These guys are Sky Pirates, after all. And um, the first thing that came to mind is, you know, I've been I'm a Firefly Serenity fan. Uh, all you brown coats, you know, unite. Um. And I really like the theme of the Serenity, so I, I heard it was kind of inspired, it was in my head, so uh, what came out was kind of something like that, and I thought uh, if we orchestrate it right, have the players play it a certain way, give it kind of an Irish twist to it, and kind of match the uh, the show idea. Uh, Von Grubb is more of a, uh, kind of going for more of a uh, Hungarian kind of uh, sound or something, just something that sounded... Uh, a little just, oompa, kind of. Yeah, a little more, little more oompa well, than, like, than the like Sky Like Bartok plus Bach. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean... I mean, I mean that little uh, that clarinet melisma in the middle was definitely supposed to sound like a like a Bach cantata. Why, why mm-hmm. David? What the heck is a melisma? Melisma is well, it comes from like the Latin melia, meaning honey, um, and it has to do with with passages in a musical piece that are flowing. Uh, it's just a long string of notes. Uh, the one that comes to mind specifically is from Handel's Messiah, which I had to sing in my junior year of high school. And it goes like this. For unto us a child is born. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Yeah, we, we got it. Like that. We got well, I had it. to do the whole thing. I had to do <sighs> Oh, God, I'm out of practice. Uh, do we <laughs> That's wanna... a melisma. Why don't we take a listen to the Grupp theme then? All right, let's hear that under us as we talk. Keep your ears peeled. For the melisma. Yes. It's very melismatic.
So I remember uh, sitting down in front of the piano next to you, Robert, and being like, I want something that sounds sort of like this. And just all I had was, da 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 That was it. And then I remember, this is, this is how, in the beginnings of the show, this is how I worked with you for composition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's just sitting down at the piano and... Uh, just hammering at things. Trying out different sounds, you know, and even throwing in uh, some uh, inspired pieces from other composers, uh, such as, uh, there's a little Tchaikovsky section in there with the... Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's right out of the, the Nutcracker. So how do you get from, you know, hammering something out on a piano to... A full orchestration. I mean, this is this is like a total mystery to me. How do you decide this instrument has this part? Right. Where Was does that there come from? Any impro- improvisation on the the part of the? Well, the inst- percussion definitely yeah. is uh, improvised because it, it has a. Well, first of all, our percussionists are, are absolutely incredible, and it sounds better when they just go with what their heart is telling them than mm-hmm. what's written down on paper. Beautiful. Um, this happened also with the clarinets. Um, we decided to uh, have one stick to what was written, and while the other one improvised on top of that, thereby giving a, a much uh, thicker texture to uh, the music. And Listen to you. No, no listen to them. Yeah. Listen to them. Yeah, they're, they're pretty sweet. Our, our, our performers are absolutely out of this world, incredible people. Um, Why don't uh, could you talk a little about the space that we're recording this in? Because mm. I know, at least that was pretty important to you, David. Oh yeah. Well, <clears throat> uh, well, one of the things we had was uh, Brown. The they have there's a lounge in Brown Hall. Um, I don't know if many people know about it. It's a uh, it's a little secluded, but uh, there is wonderful acoustics in there, and also a lot of space plus a piano, a grand piano that's in there. So this became a very, very ideal location for recording and performing and rehearsals as well. And whereas for for the Human Chord Show, which has a funk band, which has a funk soundtrack to it, uh, I felt that Sky Pirate's aesthetic required more of an orchestral feel. Specifically, the two composers that I wanted, when, when Robert was talking about it, it needed to sound piratey and it needed to sound Irish. I said it needed to sound like James Newton Howard meets uh, Eric Wolfgang Korngold. Uh, Eric Wolfgang Korngold did music for the Golden Age of Hollywood. He did swashbuckling films like Captain Blood and... Uh, Seahawk. And the Seahawk, thank you. James Newton Howard uh, recently uh, Oscar-nominated for um, was Defiance, um, movie that wasn't so good, but the soundtrack is absolutely incredible. I should check it out. Yeah, it's but but the, the, the room sound was very important to us, and that's why we wanted to go record in Brown as opposed to a recording studio. Yeah, it gives a much more full-bodied sound, and that, that echo is very important to the, orche- the orchestra sound. That makes it sound bigger than it is. Yeah. Okay, so I think we probably have time for one more question here. Okay. Robert, favorite, uh, favorite let's say, film composer. Favorite oh. film composer and why? It's so hard to say because I love all of them, but probably um, I would have to go with uh, this guy because he is a bit of an underdog. Uh, Elliot Goldenthal. Oh, is, I guessed it. I guessed yeah, it. Yeah, you guessed it. it. Uh, Elliot Goldenthal is a uh, both a stage and concert uh, writer as well as a film composer, and he is uh, just an absolute genius and very underrated. What did What did he do? Anything I would know? Um, well, I could probably list them all. Uh, his bigger ones are Alien 3, Interview the Vampire, Heat. Uh, recently, he, he got the Oscar for Frida. Um, he even did SWAT, the Final Fantasy movie. Um, but he, if, the movies may not be good, but if you listen to the scores, they are breathtaking. I mean, it's it's unlike any other composer out there. So cool. props to Goldenfall. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming in. Yeah, thanks, Robert. And Thank you taking very much. time to talk Thank to you very us much, Robert about Panico. the music in Sky Pirates. Put Robert Panago, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! I said Panago. Panico.
We just see. Yes. And uh, why don't we then take a little break and take a listen to some more music from Sky Pirates. Listening to KWUR Clayton ninety point three FM. This is the K Word Theater of the Air. My name is David Reinstrom. I'm David Brunel Brutman, and I'm Alex Jensen. And coming up is story time with Alex Jensen. Woohoo! That's me. That's you. So, guys, hey, where's my where's my music? Uh, Where, where's my background music? Oh, you'll get it in a second. <gasps> I pushed the thing. I demand the background music. Um. And now, story time with Alex Jensen. Wow. <laughs> All right, so last time I told you guys a story. Um, it, w- it was the story that I like to call uh, the time I fell off a horse. <laughs> so um, I, I'm going to kind of go in that vein. Um, another time that I almost died um, was uh, last June. And I was with my dear friends, Robert, who was just here, uh, Jim and Brian, and we were on the way to the 48-hour film competition, um, which is a citywide thing uh, that also went up to national and then international. Anyway, it was a big deal. We were really excited. Um, you make a film in, in two days. Um, so we were going to this um, this kickoff. Um, so uh, we're driving. Okay, what I need to be, be careful about here is... This is a very visual story. I'm, I'm going to try and help you understand wh- where exactly uh, I am in relation to the, the other character in the story. Because um, it is a driving story. It is, it is a car story. So we are driving down Big Bend. Um, and if, if you know the area, you will know that Big Bend has uh, two lanes on each side and then a turning lane in the middle. So we're driving in the, the the lane next to the turning lane 
So there's a lot of traffic, right? There's people everywhere. And this van, it's this tan van, comes pulling out from the left side and into the turning lane right next to me. And it's pretty much illegal. You're, you're not supposed to turn into the turning lane. Um, so I wasn't sure if he saw me or what the deal was. So I put my brakes on and I honked just to let him know that I was there. It was a friendly gesture so that this van wouldn't slam into me. Um, but he obviously wanted to turn into the turning lane, so... Um, he did not hit me, and instead, uh, flicked me off. And (laughs) so we're like, oh, well, that wasn't very nice. You know, I was doing this person a favor by letting him know that I was there, thinking that he was going to hit me. (laughs) So we pull up, um, a little further. I, I pull into the right lane, and we stop at a stoplight. And there are uh, quite a few cars out in front of us. And we look to the side, and this van comes driving um, ne- next to me, the, the lane I was just in, passing. Um, I mean, he's, he also has to be stopped by the light, but the cars uh, up there were, were at a shorter line. So he pulls up slowly, ever so slowly, stares into our window, my window, and uh, leans out the window and basically just gives us this death glare. And, you know, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, very nice. He, I could see at this point that, that he had a shaved head and um, was I, I, I wasn't sure, but I could see that he wasn't wearing a shirt at this point. I thought <laughs> I thought maybe maybe he had a wife beater on. I, I couldn't really see because it was just his. But but no, it it was he, he didn't have a shirt on. Um, anyway, so so and this is this is the guy in the passenger. Was he like was he like sort of a pudgy shirtless or was he like well, a well, ripped, hold, scary? Just, okay wait wait on it wait on it um so, so now this is the guy in the passenger the passenger seat of this van and just giving us the death glare uh going past us and he stops the van stops because there is a red light um a few cars in front of us at at, at this point you know i i kind of this is this is where i was stupid i, I gave him a little wave <laughs> Like a little like, hey, you know, with a smile. Um, <laughs> just because he was being a butthead, you know, and and I, I don't deserve that. Uh, so that that really upset him. <laughs> so when they pulled up, he 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 gets out of the vehicle. He steps out onto the street. At this point, the Wait, light in the middle of the lane in the middle of in the middle of. Yes, everything. <laughs> he gets out, shuts the door. And starts uh, making this motion with his hand, like, come on. And I, I could see that he's swearing at me. Uh, he's mouthing it uh, with his mouth. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, God, what did I get myself into? Um, that point, the light turns green. So every other car has pulled ahead, gone about their merry way. But this guy in this van is standing in the middle of the road. And I have to pass him because the light turned green. So I creep up slowly, slowly. He, at that point, I see that he has an empty alcohol bottle in his hand. <laughs> and he has tattoos all over his body. They're going to say tattoos all over the bottle. Not over the bottle. No, all over his body. He's like ripped, right? And, and he's bald like this skinhead character and beckoning me to like come, come towards him because he's going to kick my butt, if you will. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to die. This, this is it. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. It's, it's, been, it's been real. 
um, you know, give my Pokemon cards to my little brother and, um, you know, bury me with my, you know, stuffed animals. It was one of those moments. So then I realized that I should probably just zoom past him because it would be less likely <laughs> to um, hit us because uh, chances are he was probably drunk. <laughs> the, the empty alcohol bottle kind of tipped, tipped me off on that one. But so I, I pretty much floor it. I race past this guy, and as we're going by, he raises his arm with the alcohol bottle and swings at full force down. He did not hit my car. I don't, I don't know if he even meant to or just meant to scare us. Either way, he missed, and we did not die. I did, however, pretty much shrink underneath the steering wheel because I was afraid that glass was going to, you know, get in my skull. Uh... Then the the worst thing happened. The, the the light turned red again. So it's it's me and this skinhead, and we're stopped at this light. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So he gets back into the van and starts pulling forward. And I'm like, no, I, I I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna die. I'm gonna get us out of this, you guys. And side note, we were listening to the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. So that. <laughs> That that just made the whole thing even even more epic on an even more epic level. So Do you remember what song it was? It was Gaston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um the Gaston song's blaring. I almost just died and, and this guy's coming towards me. We have a red light. So what I did was I I pulled into the on the left side there's a white castle on the corner of Manchester and Big Bend, and I pulled into the parking lot. Um, and, and, and Robert and Jim and Brian are like, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, he's, he's going to get us if we go into the parking lot. We'll be like turkeys on Thanksgiving down there, to quote Dark Knight. Um, <laughs> Robert's like, yeah. Uh, so I pull into the White Castle parking lot. He follows us, right? And I'm like, oh, great. And traffic is bad, and, we, you know, we're going to be stopped. Uh, so I pull into the parking lot, and I, I kind of I flip around, and I, I get on Manchester going – the other way and he gets he follows me but he gets stopped by the red light so we zoom forward and he's you know stopped behind us like i'll get you and uh i think i remember saying something like like don't worry you guys we'll lose him or something or 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 afterwards robert said something like i think we lost him and it's not every day that you get to say that phrase <laughs> and, yeah. like, actually mean it. Like, like, don't worry, we lost him type of thing. And it was my my incredible driving expertise that saved our lives and also maybe, you know, and, and, uh, anyway. I, well <laughs> think, think, played. Thinking about this story just, just freaks me out because I was, like, never been so scared in my entire life. <laughs> like, afraid that I was going to die. Um, so that is the story of the time that I got to say, I think we lost him. I think, I think what I've been doing is I'm going to be like compiling a list of all your catchphrases. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I think we lost him. <laughs> right. In the, that's, in the, that's where we at, we're at so far. In the, the story I told last time where I fall off a horse, I, I did indeed yell out loud. Um, I'm not going to make it. So for those of you who didn't hear that story, that was... Uh, what happened there but yeah so that that's that's my story really scary but i look <laughs> this has been story time with alex jensen <laughs> thanks don't you love this music yeah it it <laughs> takes me by surprise every time <laughs>
It's, uh, and they're usually stories about like death or near-death experiences. That's the idea. So, <laughs> the point. Oh, hey, we've got, oh. A, uh, we've got a caller. We have a caller. Oh, we do have a caller. Let's, let's fade out story time with Alex Jensen and... Bring up the phone. Caller, you're on the air. Just keep it clean. Mm. Hello, everybody. Hello. This Hello. Is, uh, oh, dude. Dude, it's your bro. Oh, um, it's Christian. Uh, Chris, hey. Mm, beautiful. Tell, um, send my regards to your friends. I love them, a lot of them. Um, their intellectual grandeur uh, lays mine to waste, so. Wow. Those Whatever. are some big words, my friend. I really like your brother. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, I second that. I think that another one you should add onto like your little catchphrase thing mm-hmm. is uh, quoting Star Wars. Like, I, I, I can't shake them. I can't shake them. <laughs> no. I can't shake. I should. You know, I should have said that. I, I didn't think of saying that while I was driving. That Get out of there, wedge! You can't do any help back there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they came from behind. Well, that's right, Chris. We know all of them. Well, Chris, can you can you think of any stories that I might want to tell for next week? Um, I any near death? Have we <laughs> have we experienced anything you know as frightening together as brother and sister? Oh God, I'm, I'm sure we have. I'm sure, sure we have. We'll have to think about it. Definitely. Oh, I know. And Stay on thing. target. <laughs> Stop that. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. One more thing. I don't know if Robert's still on. He's but... here. Yeah. Okay. Tell him that. My favorite part in all of Lone Island films is um, during the Jurassic Park thing when they're on the airplane yes. going to Isla Sorno or Sorno or whatever. Yeah. And he's just sitting there going like, I quite literally LOL or That was him just now. That was Robert just now. He. He, he, here, let me, let me, let me have him do it again for you. <laughs> that was for you, Chris. <laughs> All right. All right. That, that gets my seal of approval. Awesome. That gets my seal of approval. We're going we're gonna to have to boot you off the phone because we have one last thing to play before we're, we're running out of time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I we, love you guys. We most certainly do. We love you, Christian. Thanks for calling. Yeah, <laughs> cheers. Bye. Bye. Uh, that was cute. That All right, was cute. so that was my little brother. Everybody. Yes, <laughs> we'll definitely brainstorm some more stories, Alex, and listeners. Tune in next week for another <laughs> life-threatening edition <laughs> of Story Time. Good heavens! With Alex Jensen. Great. Uh, now, what though, do we got next? Next, next, I want to play the Ur text. What? It's the Ur text. What was that? What mean? does that mean? That means you know how like there's an Ur Hamlet, there's like a like the, the text that inspires the other text. Oh, okay. This mm. is this is the Ur text yeah. for Sky Pirates. Oh, yes. right, 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 right. Yes, it is. We we had our Sky Pirates premiere earlier in the show, as many of you may or may not remember. And so we've hope been doing, you remember. <laughs> we we hope you remember. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> um, you should really you should really get so, checked for that if you don't remember. Yeah. And so we've been doing a 1930s and 40s theme here on the show. And next up, we have some original 1940s-related content, which is arguably uh, the inspiration for Sky Pirates. This is a sketch called Montana Morris and the Pickaxe of Fate and involves the adventures of our Indiana Jones parody, Montana Morris, an ace paleontologist who travels to exotic locales to fight Nazis. Not to be confused with his half-brother, 
New Mexico Chittenden. Mexico Chittenden. <laughs> the less that, successful that, one. That was, your first, that was your first name for, for this character, He's right? an evolutionary microbiologist. He, he with fights very, with a very fine hat. Yes, a very fine hat. He wears a, a bowler derby. Okay, so in this episode of Montana Morris, the, the hmm. second one that we made, uh, Montana Morris is high over the skies of Tibet and gets involved in some serious paleontolo- paleontological intrigue. So you're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Montana Morris, ladies and gentlemen. Nineteen forty-three, the Himalayas. We join intrepid paleontologist Montana Morris as he fights for his life aboard the Nazi airship Luftwaffe. <laughs> Is that all you got, Heidi? There's plenty more Nazi punches and kicks where those come from. I'm not letting you take that cursed pickaxe to Imperial Japan, Heidi. You make me laugh, Herr Doctor Morris. You may have been able to thwart Baron von Sturm. But I am made of sterner stuff. I'll say you are, and also a damn side leggier. Oh, thank you, Herr Doctor. But that's not the point right now. <coughs> Jensen, help me out, buddy. She's got me pinned. Bork, bork. I'm coming, Dr. Morris. <coughs> Get off my leg, you Good boy, Jensen. Bite those perfect gams, but uh, don't leave any permanent scars. Keep her still until I can kick this door open. All right, Jensen, time to bail out. Uh, well, Heidi, it's been a hell of a clam bake, but I'm afraid it's time for me to go, you fascist fox. If I can't have the cursed pickaxe, no one can. The pickaxe. After it. I don't see it, dog. We're falling too fast. Open the chute, Jensen. Well, this is no good. Don't worry, Jensen. Look, we'll come down by that village there. We'll ask if anyone saw the cursed pickaxe fall from the sky. That seems unlikely, given the inclement weather. Then it's lost. As long as it stays out of the hands of the Krauts. It's cold up here, Montana. Don't worry, boy. We'll we'll find shelter soon. Braving the cold, Montana and Jensen make their way to the nearby village at the base of a steep and forbidding peak. They enter the village tavern, the Hirsute Ox. It is nice to be inside. Come on, Jensen. Let's get something warm. Hey there, barkeep. My dog and I would like something to eat. Oh, there, Outlander. How came you to speak our language? I once spent four months locked in an Argentinian naval brig with a Sherpa gunrunner. What have you got to eat around here? Very little. Why is that? Well, there's plenty of raw food, but the kitchen's got nothing to cook it with. Someone's made off with a ghee. No! What's a ghee? Yak butter. We think it might have been students from the school. What school? The Shaolin Kung Fu Monastery atop the peak. Shaolin Monastery? This far west? Charter school. Ah. The students have always protected us in times of dire need, but I fear something has changed. No kidding. How does one get to this monastery? Look, in light of recent events, I don't think it's smart to discuss this out in front of everyone. Meet me out back. 
why do we want to go see a monastery, Dr. Morris? I have a feeling that our pickaxe is in that monastery. And how do you know that, Dr. Morris? Because I'm an ace paleontologist, Jensen. Now all we need to do is get inside. Soon? Gah! It smells down here. Are you sure this will work, Montana? We'd be tied to the underside of a yak if I weren't sure. Now be quiet. They're opening the doors. <coughs> All right, we're in. Time to go do some snooping. Shh! Over here, Jensen. What is it, Montana? I found the Shaolin Master's study. If the monks found the pickaxe, it'll be in here. And if he's not in, there's hardly any chance of us being... <coughs> Discovered. Crap. Oh no, we've been surrounded by a dozen Shaolin monks. But don't worry, Jensen, I've seen this before. The more martial arts experts that surround a hero, the more easily they are dispatched. Eat this, Outlander. A visually stunning fight erupts. Montana is promptly knocked unconscious. Dr. Montana? Yes, yes. I think we need to find a new line of employment. One that doesn't involve us getting tied up all the time. Well, give it some serious consideration, Jensen. It looks like the buck stops here, Dr. Montana Morris. Who are you? And how do you know my name? You dropped your wallet when we knocked you unconscious. Well played. Now take this damn blindfold off. I want to see who I'm talking to. It's you. Yes, it is. Who? Who are you? I am Deng Feihu, master of this monastery. You've got, you've got a strangely familiar pickaxe embedded in your skull. It must have fallen right into your head. Must break free. <laughs> I wouldn't try to take it, Morris. Inspiration has fallen from heaven, and my students have benefited. They've only benefited from the evil in that pickaxe. The thing is cursed, Master Dang. You must remove it from your head immediately. It's poisoned your mind. That seems unlikely. Through the inspiration... Curse. Shut up. ...of this holy relic, I have learned a secret ritual that will increase my strength a hundredfold. Someone get me down from here. I'm going to bite his ears off. Don't blindfold the dog, now do they? Hey, Dr. Morris, you got your nail file? Yes, I'll try and get us free. Acolytes, prepare the path of key. What is he doing? Raise the giant walk. They're going to pour that hot yak butter over the master's head. You fool, get out from under there, you'll be killed. Not likely, Morris. When I combine this yak butter and the power of the pickaxe embedded in my head, I will become more than a mere man. I will assume the form of the mighty Mastodon. Once I am transformed, I will feast upon your flesh, Morris. And finally, I can bring Iron Tusk stability to this entire continent. A golden age of imposed tranquility. I can almost smell it. I think that's the key. Sirens! Go, my students. Pour the hot butter. Don't do it. Rawr! Dear God, it's too horrible to watch. Yes, yes. The power, 
the power. The power. Hey, he's become a hideous beast. He is enormous. But we're free. Let's get out of here, little buddy, while he's distracted. Think you can restrain me with your trunk, do you? Well, apparently you can. Save yourself, Jensen. Jensen is gone. Has he abandoned me? My oldest and most Swedish friend? I mean, we've been adventuring together for 14 years. That's 56 in dog years, and two billion in Australian red thorax gnat years. <sighs> Getting hot in here. Bork, bork! Jensen, old buddy, old pal, you didn't abandon me. No, Dr. Morris. I just went to turn up the monastery's thermostat. Good work, Jensen. With the increased heat, the mastodon will go extinct. What? No! He's back to normal. And the pickaxe fell out of his head. What happened? I remember something falling from the sky. Let us put this cursed pickaxe where no human can get it. Why am I covered in butter? Let's head back to town, charter a plane, and throw it on top of Mount Everest. No human will ever set foot there. Who are you people? I'm Montana Morris, and this is Jensen the Dog. Did they just jump out the window? Yes, sir, I, uh, I think they did. Master Dang? Yes, my son. That, uh, Mastodon thing, was that some kind of test? Test? Uh, yes, it was a test, and you all passed. Good, good job, students. Very, very well done, yes. I'm proud. The great Buddha is proud of you. Another paleontological abomination averted by Dr. Montana Morris. By Warbots. brings you back, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I love that one. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Montana Morris and the Pickaxe of Fate here on K-Wur Theater of the Air. And this is uh, K-Wur. K-W-U-R. 90.3. FM. Clayton. Where the K stands for quality. Never forget that. I will never forget it. You know what the K also stands for? Ovaltine. <laughs> the, K- the K stands for Ovaltine. <laughs> The three of us have really enjoyed spending these last two hours with you, but now I am afraid it is time for us to go. Oh. You know how I know it's time for us to go, Alexo. I think it's because of this music. It's true. Oh. Well. Anyway, this week's episode of the KWUR Theater of the Air was written and produced by David Bruno Brutman, Alex Jensen, and me, David Reinstrom. And now, here are a lot of credits. 
The KWUR Chamber Orchestra of the Air is composed of Robert Panico, Lisa Skultetti, Chase Ferry, Bennett Geckner, Nathaniel Markman, Philip Gibbs, Indu Chandra Sekhar, Katrina Cruz, Amelia Fawcett, Madeline Hanshi, Anna Studstill, Michael Giserni, Kiria Metz, Spencer Cousy, Candy Giraud, Jacob Stern, uh, Robert Panico, uh, Max Zuckerman, Brian, and Brian Baird. The cast of Sky Pirates this week. Sky Pirates, uh, starring Evan Kuhn as your humble announcer, Alex Jensen as Lady Magdalena von Schwarzhofen, David Bernal Brubman as Baron Klaus von Grupp, Kareth Parashak as George, Michael Giserti as Taggart, Ben Steinberg as Stegman, and David Reinstrom as Captain Gulliver Nash, and featuring the other K-Ware players, Willis Garcini, Justin Pieper, and Alice Sheldon. Thank you. That was a lot of credits. We hope to see you next week, ladies and gentlemen. Same time, same place, here on the... K-Wor Theater of the Air. Also, I have some credits. <laughs> uh, the one... <laughs> uh, Keep it together, Alex. I know! This week's waffle is Belgian. I repeat, Belgian waffle. <laughs> Makeup for the K-Wor Theater of the Air is by Dracula. Lighting by a bumblebee. <laughs> Costumes by three bumblebees. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the Ovaltine-related affliction of the week is Chocolate Overdose. And now the three of us have a song. David, bring down the music for a second. <clears throat> no one's been like Skinhead. A kingpin like Skinhead. No one's got a swell cleft in his chin like Skinhead. I use bottles in all of my viscerating. I want a guy that's Skinhead. I didn't sing the lyrics because I could not read them from this distance. I messed it up. It's, I use bottles and all my eviscerating. That's, okay. That's a song inspired by the story. Right? <laughs> it is. Earlier, Join us next week for next more week crazy more adventures. More stories, more adventures. More Sky Pirates. It's going to be great. And more sacrifices to the Blood Emperor. And that. Blood especially, for the Blood God. Especially that. For the Emperor! Will you stop that? No. <laughs>